Well, I'm going to talk about, um, I'm going to do our second session on our series of a culture shift. And I want to talk about hope this morning. I think that as people of God, we should bring hope to the world, right? The Bible says that Jesus is the hope of the world. So we should be that hope. Amen. I um, was listening to a podcast this week and, um, and the, the guy that was preaching said, I know some things the church should fast. They shouldn't fast food or stuff like that. They should be fasting depression. The church should be fasting somberness. The, fir- the church should be fasting unfaithfulness. The church should be fasting hopelessness. The church should be fasting those things that, that make us set apart where it's not a good thing, where we're somber or we're sad or we're in doom or we're in gloom or we feel impoverished or we feel poor in spirit <clears throat> in a negative way. The church should be fasting those things and should be rising up in hope and joy and truth. Amen. So I want to talk about that this morning. Um, Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. It says, God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our lives, our very lives to God, have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you're causing us to bring hope and change to the world, that this culture shift that we are grabbing a hold of God as your people will just cause a momentum and a change in our cities and our communities, God. That we would not be crying out for politicians and, and, um, and laws to change, but we would literally just cause our hearts to change so that we can change our community one life at a time, God. Give us what you need to change our world in Jesus' name. Hope is our lifeline. You ever seen that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And they have, um, they have these lifelines. They can phone a friend, Right? And the friend that they phone, they have to rely on that person to know the question. So you've got like these people that have um, friends that are like physicists and scientists and like the smartest people on the planet. They can phone their friend and get some help. You have a friend that you can phone. You have a lifeline. He is Jesus. He is the savior of the world. He has every answer and you never run out of lifelines. Hope is our lifeline. We can anchor our heart in hope and in truth. We don't have to lose heart. We have unlimited lifelines. Can you say amen? You have unlimited lifelines. You know, I wonder what God can do. Is that last week, Zach talked about the process. I love talking about the process. I think it's so important for us to, uh, us to understand that as we're going through things, there's something on the other side. As we're going through circumstances and situations, if we have hope in the process, we won't lose heart in the moment. If we have hope in the process, we won't go f- grow faint. We won't grow weary while doing good. We will have heart in the moment, in the hard times. You know, I wonder what God would do in our process if we would just hold on to hope. I think sometimes we look at God as this God that because he sees the end from the beginning that he can't change the process. 
Because he sees the end from the beginning, he can't intervene in the moments. Sometimes we see a God that's so distant and so removed from the heart of his people that he doesn't interact or interchange or exchange with us. He doesn't come low and come lowly and come, up and come under and say, I want to lift you up. You know, Jesus as the perfect example and the revelation of the Father came to the lowest place and was born in a manger. He taught what servant leadership is and he, he washed the feet of his disciples. Sometimes we don't see a God that can come and intervene in our circumstances. And so we just take our process and, and we say, well, this is just what I'm going through. This is just what I have to, what I have to bear. This is my cross. This is my burden. This is my thorn. How many say, but wait a minute. If I take hope in this God, but God can intervene. But God, what can you do when my heart is anchored in hope? But God, what can you do in these moments of my process when I allow you to come in and intervene and I posture my heart with hope as my anchor and my lifeline and I say, God, I have a phone call and I've got a question and he says, I've got the answer. He's got the answer. Amen. I want to um, look at Hebrews chapter 4, and if you want to turn in your Bible, I think this is um, NIV. I'm not positive. I didn't write it down. But it's behind me, so you don't have to. <clears throat> it's NLT. There you go. Okay. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. How many know the people of Israel wandered around the desert for 40 years and it was an 11-day journey? <clears throat> How many know God would have intervened if they had just grabbed a hold of hope? They could have entered into the, re into the rest of God in 11 days. Instead, it took them 40 years. People of God, let's not take a generation to do what God can do in days. People of God, let's not take a generation to do what God wants to do in days. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It's his exegete on this scripture, and he says, he says, it is finished. I am no longer going to do my own works. I am done with them. I now trust the finished work of Christ, and that gives me rest. But as to all that wearied me before, everything that wearied us before and made life a continual task and toil, it has ended now. Can you say that with me? It has ended now. It has ended now. God is not a cruel taskmaster to his people. He gives rest to those who trust him. And some of us have entered into that rest. How many know that's not the fullness if it's only some of us that entered into the rest? It's everyone that God wants to enter into the rest. Why? Because he paid for the rest. Because he gave us the rest. Because he finished it. He finished the rest at the cross. He wants us to have the rest. 
um, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between the joints and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. See, we have to, Christ is our high priest. We have to let Jesus cut through the center of our being. We have to let Jesus come in and cut through and say, this, enter my rest. Let his word, see, the word in this scripture is not talking about necessarily the Bible. The word in this scripture is Jesus incarnate. It's the person of Christ. And he wants to come in and he wants to say, I want to go deep inside of you. And reveal all the things that aren't me. Reveal all the things that aren't giving you rest and hope. Reveal all the things that are holding you back from your destiny. Reveal all the things that are making it take generations for you for what God wants to do in days. He wants to go and cut through and reveal all the things hid. You want to know why? He sees them anyway. He sees them anyway. Because he's God and he goes deep anyway. But when we let him and he, we let him expose our heart, we see, we see, oh, Jesus, I'm not taking rest in that. Why am I not giving this part to you? Why am I not surrendering this area to you? Because it's so much easier when I do that. Verse 14. So then since we have a great high priest, Jesus, our high priest, Jesus, who did it all, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us firmly, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weakness for he faces all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Therefore, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God gives us rest. Hope gives us rest. Hope gives us rest. Hope in who God is. Hope in what he done, what he's done. Hope in what he's finished. He gives us rest. There was this time when I was young. My mom's going to probably cringe when she hears this story. I cringe now thinking about it. Um, I was the oldest of five growing up in our household for a while, and um, I was in third grade, and we would have to walk to uh, the outside of our apartment complex to catch a bus to get to school, and we were in elementary school. So I'm the oldest of five. I'm in third grade, so I, I think that, that we started, there was four of us, we started in kindergarten. We had to, right? Um, and so we kept missing the bus because we found this shortcut in our apartment complex, we kept missing the bus. And my stepdad was like, you guys miss the bus again. When you get home, when you get home, you're going to get beat. Like there ain't no question. Don't miss the bus again. So sure enough, there's a morning we walk out and we miss the bus. So I have this great idea. I don't think school's that far. I think we can just walk. Now, um, can you imagine it underdeveloped North Las Vegas Four little kids starting the oldest in third grade walking to school. That's what happened. That's what we did. We start walking. And, you know, we're like breaking twigs, pretending like we're going to die in the desert and um, trying to catch lizards on the way. And, and I remember thinking, um, 
this is, we've been walking a really long time. And so as the oldest, I'm trying to take responsibility for, you know, the actions of everybody younger than me. And so I said, okay, as soon as we, we have to find like people to help us. So sure enough, um, we come over this hill in the desert and we see it's like an office building. Excuse me. It's like an office building. And we go in and I said, um, ma'am, um, we are trying to get to school and um, I think we're lost. And she's like, oh, okay, what school do you go to? And I told her elementary school. She's like, oh, you're just across the street. So she calls the school and the school calls my parents. <laughs> Guess what happened when I got home from school that day? <laughs> yep, you know, got the belt. Um, that was my house. Um, so... But just so you, just like, can you imagine four of these little babies walking to school? But my school was literally across the street from the, the office building I had found. Isn't that funny? Sometimes our immaturity, we can't see where our destination is and we stop right before it. We stop right before our destiny. See, when we have hope, our eyes can see beyond our circumstances. When we have hope, our eyes can see beyond what we're, what we're limited to in the natural. When we have hope and our hope is anchored in God, our vision is not blurred. Our vision is not skewed. We see beyond the circumstances. We can see where we're going. You're like, oh no, devil, you ain't going to make me stop right here. I see what you have for me. I see where I'm going. Don't you see my destiny? I'm not going to stop short. I'm not going to stop right before. I'm going to climb the mountain. I'm going to keep going through this desert because I know what's on the other side. See, hope brings life and it causes our heart to mature and we, be, we can see differently. We can see further. We can see what God has for us. Hope broadens our vision to see more. Let him, our high priest, let him show us. Let him pick us up from our circumstances and give us different eyes and give us different vision. Let him bring us higher. See, the higher you are, the more you can see. But sometimes when we're in the valleys, all we see is the turmoil all around us. But hope in him will pick us up to see bigger and more of what he has for us. Amen? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Hope in our life becomes faith. Hope in our lives becomes faith. You know, um, as I was growing up, I grew up in the church. I grew up a Christian. And my mom, if you talk to her for five minutes, you'll know how much of a powerful woman of God she is. She's so amazing. And she has such a powerful testimony. And so growing up, I used to think, man, I'm never going to have a testimony like my mom. Like, she's such an amazing testimony. Now, 
Now I look back at my life and I can see what God has been doing the whole way. See, immaturity says that you don't have a testimony. Immaturity says God's not moving in your life. You've not gone from somewhere to someplace else. Immaturity says that you're just stuck in where you are and you're not going anywhere. But when we understand who he is and and what he's done for us, we begin to take that hope and the hope becomes anchored in our soul and it becomes a substance. It becomes something tangible. It gets locked in our heart. And that is the faith that says, no, I have a testimony. God is doing something in me. God is doing something in my life. God is doing something in my family. God is doing something in my community. God is changing things and my hope gets locked in and it becomes faith. And faith is that substance. Faith is something tangible. Faith is something real that we can feel and we can touch and we can see. And that faith becomes alive in us. And you know what? Trust is faith expressed in love. Trust and hope is faith that's just expressed in love. And then my root becomes something so real, and I know his love for me. See, trust is something easy when you know you're loved. Trust is something so freeing when I know I'm going to be taken good care of. Some of us, when we don't have hope and we don't have trust and faith in God, it's just because we don't understand how much he loves us. We don't understand that he's a good father, that when he compared his love for his children in the scripture with the love of an earthly father, he compared it with stones and bread and scorpions and eggs Now, I don't know about you, but my husband is one of the most loving, amazing fathers. And if you have children, you understand this. Your love for your children is so great. You know, I dropped my kids off last night and aged myself really quick. I have two that went to homecoming yesterday. Two of my babies went to homecoming. I was like, I called my husband on the way. I'm like, I'm going to (laughs) cry. They're so beautiful. I got a text from um, my son asked a girl to homecoming and I got a text from the mom this morning and, and she said, I just want to know you've done such a good job because your son was such a perfect gentleman. My daughter was so honored and he opened every door and, and he did such a good job. I'm like, he better because if not, he'd have to answer to us. No, he's a good kid. But if his love, if the love of God in scripture, he compares it with the love of an earthly father like scorpions and eggs and a rock and bread, how, how much does God love us? How much does he love us? And I don't know about you, but my husband would never show love to our children with abuse and cancer and poverty. I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of love my husband would give my kids. How much more is that not the love that God would give his babies? And now when I understand the love of the father, that love is the faith expressed of my hope that's anchored in him. That is the love that is the, that locked into my heart so that I know that I know that I know that I know that he's not finished. And I can have eyes to see beyond what my circumstances tell me. And I can have 
hope. And that changes who we are, people of God. If we are people that have, have a culture of hope and a culture of faith, we can say, no, we're not somber. We know who Jesus is. No, we're not defeated. We know we're just going through something. No, we're not in a valley. We might be in the valley for a moment, but this is where the fruit grows. But I know I have eyes from the mountaintops. And we can say these things and we can be the hope that needs to happen in the shift of our church. Amen. Amen. I'm done. That's it. Can we close with that first song? Troyo, you want to come up? We're going to close this song. Um, Troyo came and joined us for worship this week and she wanted to do this song. And when I heard it, I was like, yes, this goes with the message. How do we know he's faithful? He's faithful. And I can say yes and amen to his faithfulness from the beginning to the end. So will you stand up with me? Can we get our worship team? And we're just going to sing this a little bit as we close. God, you are faithful. You're faithful. Jesus, right now I pray that your presence would just touch every heart and every life. And that no matter what our circumstances might be, We might feel like we're in that desert and we're trying to get to school and we can't see the end, God. But I just pray right now for vision and eyes to see the way you see us, God, to see what our destiny is. Let us see what our destiny is in you, Jesus. Hallelujah.